0: Good morning, welcome to the Springs. My name is Pastor Alberto, I serve here as the lead pastor and I'm super excited uh, to be with you guys. So much so that uh, this, this past week, uh, our leadership team here, our staff here, we, we spent the week in Florida attending a, a leadership conference through our ministry uh, that we're a part of every nation. And uh, it, was, it was so exciting and, and I'm an extrovert but I think I'm an introvert now because uh, uh, I, I found myself reconnecting with spiritual family that I hadn't seen in years, a couple years. And I was so excited to to be around uh, close friends, partners in the gospel, to reconnect and catch up on life. And and I found myself experiencing this weird feeling, something I'd never experienced before. I had a longing to be here. Uh, I, I was actually having lunch with one of my close friends, and he's like, you know, what's it like? How's the week going for you? And I was like, man, this is awesome. This is cool. But... But I want to be with my people. Like, I I can't wait to be here on Sunday to gather with you guys, to worship with you. uh, Because you're my people, and and whether you like it or not, uh, we're in this together. And and I have the privilege of getting to to shepherd this church and pastor this church. And uh, it was just such an incredible feeling to just be here this morning and worship you guys. And I hope you can uh, share in that same excitement. I'm excited to be here and worship with you all. Uh, We are, let's go, come on. We are uh, in week 8 maybe seven, maybe nine, week eight of our sermon series through the book of James. And we've been sort of taking this slow summer journey through this book, examining what Pastor James has to say about living a life of faith. Uh, Not just having faith, but but living a life of faith and how that faith is expressed in our day-to-day lives. And so uh, we are making our way to the end of chapter four, and I want to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. And we're going to look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, 13 to 17. This is what it says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, we come in Jesus' name and we ask that. Your presence would visit us. We know that your presence is here, and I pray that you would make us aware of it. I pray that you would come and uh, sort of remove any distractions or lies or false beliefs about you that would keep us from seeing you and experiencing you. And Lord, I pray that as we look into the word today, that we would be transformed. Uh, That as James says, would we not just be hearers of the word, but would we be doers of the word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, This conference that we were at, it's called the Build Conference, and it sort of centers around this idea of of what does it look like to to partner with God and and build his kingdom. And so in this context, it looked like church planting, college ministry, and world missions. And it had me thinking about uh, how, um, whether we believe it or not, all of our lives are, are building something. Uh, In fact, it is in our nature to build and create and and forge a future and a life. We see from the very beginning the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creating order out of chaos, building uh, the creation that we're experiencing and making man us in the image of God. So it is in our uh, DNA, it is in our as image bearers of God to create and to build. And we all feel this and we all experience this. Some of us in this room are uh, young families and and we're young married couples and we're building families. Uh, I take pride uh, in knowing that there's like almost a dozen pregnant women in this church right now as we speak. Like babies are, this time next year, we're going to have a pop-in nursery. There's going to be babies crawling everywhere. And so this is my call to you to volunteer and serve in kids' church because we need you. Uh, and, and so there's, there's people in this room building families, and you just keep having kids. That's awesome. Keep doing that. That's an amazing thing. Uh, other of us are, are, are building our careers, and maybe that's why you find yourself in San Marcos. Uh, where you said, I'm going to come to college and pursue this degree or pursue this major so that I can create this life and, and, and live in such a way uh, where, where, where I am sort of uh, in, in, in my ideal career and workspace. And so we're, we're building a life. Uh, Other of us, maybe we're building a home and you're sort of mapping out uh, your dream house or you're waiting for lumber prices to drop so you can get on that renovation. It's in our uh, innate design to build and to create. And one of the temptations that we can find ourselves in is that we can create a future for ourselves. We can create a life for ourselves that is completely absent of God. And and that's one of the things that James is about to unpack for us, is that within every single person in this room, there is this temptation to build and create a life that is void of God, uh, that doesn't take the Lord into consideration, but rather takes our own preferences and desires uh, and pleasures into consideration. And, And what James is going to show us in this portion of Scripture is that there's three specific areas where we tend to leave God out. Now, yes, there's more than three, but Pastor James is showing us three in this portion of Scripture. And I got them all to line up with the letter F, which is rare. So come on this journey with me. The first one is finances. We tend to leave God out of our finances. The second area of our life is the future. We tend to make plans and try to create a world for ourselves that is absent of God's will. And the third area is our faith. So let's pack verse 13 as we... Talk about finances. Come now you who say. Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. And spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So what's happening during this day and age is that there's this new money sort of arising. uh, This new world of economic opportunity where merchant ship traders were showing up out of nowhere. And they were seeing that there was great money and profit to be made from importing and exporting goods. by, By getting a ship and going to new territories and new lands and selling goods. And so there was this great economic opportunity for people to make money. It's kind of like what we're experiencing now. Maybe some of you heard of this sort of like cryptocurrency craze where it's like, man, if you just invest a dollar in this random coin, you'll become a googillionaire. Like there's this opportunity for finances or, or getting early on in this right stock with this right company. And if you hedge your bets correctly, there's an opportunity to accumulate wealth. And so there was this new economic opportunity with ship trading, with, with, with exporting and importing goods. Goods. And so we have a people here who, uh, mind you, are struggling, are experiencing all sorts of affliction. Uh, who, when they look at the world and, and they see people uh, experiencing great profit and great gain, great economic wealth, there's food on the table, they look into their own community and they see their brothers and sisters getting evicted from their household simply because they're Christians. And they see their children going without food because uh, store owners won't let them in to uh, these places uh, because they identify with Christ. And so they're experiencing not just all sort of physical persecution, but they're literally being outcasted and pushed to the edge of society where they can't even be normal citizens in the day and age. And so they're looking out into the world and they're seeing sort of this temptation to run to money for rescue. And we all do this. Uh, Where do you run to when you're experiencing great sort of uh, economic afflictions? You you sort of run to your accounts, your your, your bank accounts, your checkings, your savings. You're you're seeing what is available so that you can uh, uh, sort of maximize on on how you want to live life. And, and, And it's not very often that we run to the Lord, the source of all things good, our provider, and seek his will for our life. And so this group of people, they're struggling, they're feeling the weight of poverty, and there's this temptation to build their life around financial gain. And why do they do this? For the same reason you and I would do it, because we're transactional. When you think about it, we we sort of live life and, and navigate through life with sort of this question in mind, what's in it for me? Now, that's usually how we make all of our decisions. We, we consider the jobs that we're applying for by asking what's in it for me? How much money can I make? Can I get the schedule that I want? Can I get the position that I long for? What's in it for me? Uh, we, we, we consider the, the places that, that, that we go even eat to, like what's in it for me? Where can I get the most amount of food for the least amount of money? Or, or uh, uh, where can I go grocery shopping and, and, and not spend a lot of money but get a lot of food? And if you know that place, tell me because I'm looking for it. Uh, we are so transactional. And we live our lives thinking, what can I get out of this? Instead of asking God, what do you want for me? And in our decisions that we make, we constantly ask ourselves, can I get the most amount of money? Can I get the most amount of gain? Can I get the most amount of return? Instead of asking, Lord, what is it that you have for my life? And where can I increase in godliness? Where can I increase in Christ Christlikeness instead of increasing in gain? And listen, having money is not wrong. We've discussed this. We've covered, it, covered this. Material wealth and possession isn't wrong, but it's not what we are supposed to build our life on. And it's not supposed to be the thing that we seek after and set our life in that direction. Rather, we're supposed to build our life on Christ. And money, material wealth, and possessions become uh, sort of uh, the thing that we use to exalt Christ and advance His kingdom. And so they're asking themselves, what's in it for me? Instead of asking, what does God want? We do this, we plan, and we build According to our desires, according to our expectations, according to our budget, what we have or what we don't have. And, and the reason why this can be so dangerous is because we take ourselves into consideration so much so that this will lead to self centered living and trusting in money to sustain you, to secure you, and to satisfy you. Now, now, now listen, there is nothing wrong with the occupation. James isn't saying, hey, like this new money venture opportunity, it's totally wrong. You shouldn't do it. Uh, instead, you should become a destitute missionary um, and minister of the gospel. No, he's not saying that. Rather, what he's calling out is the attitude. Yes. You see, our work, our occupation, our place where God has placed us to work should be viewed as a place of worship. That you actually go into your classroom, into your business place, into the lobby, into the hospital, into the construction site, wherever God has placed you and called you, into your home if you're working from home. And that is your place of worship. That is actually the place where God has called you to build your life around him and make much of him. And conduct yourself in such a way where you exemplify Christ's love, grace, and mercy. So when the world looks in on you, they don't see you, they see Christ in you. And your work becomes a place where you worship God. And so here's what's so amazing about worship is that there's this vertical relationship where we praise God and we lift him up and saying, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to work here. Let me do so in such a way that honors you. And then there's this second relationship where God's presence and spirit begins to commune with us and come down from heaven onto earth. And God begins to form us and to mold us into his image using our surroundings and circumstances. Our work is a place of worship because our work is the place where God wants to reveal to us areas of our life that's not submitted to the Lordship of Christ and show us areas of our hearts that need to be submitted to him. Think about your day-to-day life. Think about the moments in your life that move you to impatience. There's a sin in your heart that the Lord's trying to reveal. And your coworker is the person that God is using to form godliness in you. Think about the moments at work that move you to anxiety. Those are the areas of your life where God's revealing a part uh, uh, in your life where you don't have control. And he's showing you that he's the sovereign God who has everything in his hand. Our work should be viewed As the place of worship. It's it's not supposed to be viewed as what can this give me? What can I get out of this? But what can I give? What can I give? How can I worship the Lord in this place? How can I be on mission with Jesus and make much of him? And when we have this attitude, it totally renews the purpose and brings deeper meaning and sense of meaning to our work. One of my favorite uh, memories of this is when I became a Christian uh, 10 years ago, I had no idea what being a Christian meant. So if you told me this is what a follower of Jesus does, I did it. Because I didn't know any better. Uh, so if you told me a follower of Jesus wakes up at 5 a.m. in the morning and prays, that's what I'm going to do. If you told me a follower of Jesus goes out to the square every Friday night and evangelizes, which I did every Friday night of my senior year, that's what I did because I didn't know any better. And so I remember somebody telling me a follower of Jesus works unto the Lord with integrity and character representing Christ everywhere they go. And so my sophomore year, I landed the job uh, at the uh, you know uh, incredible Walmart right here in town and um, you know, I have this theory uh, that if you really want to see what a what a town is like, go to Walmart like at 1 a.m. in the morning, uh, and you just see full-on display the depravity of man. Just kidding, okay? Uh, that's in me. And so I remember working this odd shift, and I was with a, a weird group of people, and this group of people, all they did was cuss. And, uh, speak ill of other people. And uh, there was no ounce of Christ-likeness in them. And so it became my mission to win them over to Jesus. And so I said, if I can go after the ringleader, maybe it'll be a domino effect. And they all toppled down. And uh, oh man, it was hard. And so I, I remember thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And so I remember they all cussed and they all swore and they all said bad words. I'm just going to not say any of that. Mostly because I didn't know those words and they said words I never heard of. Uh, and so one of them asked me like, hey, why don't you come to work on Tuesdays? And I said, because I'm part of a Bible study. And they said, oh, you're a church man, you're better than us. And I'm like, yes, I, I'm just kidding, no, I'm not. Uh, and so then they started noticing that I don't talk like them. And so something about the way I was carrying myself was, was attractive to them. And all I was doing was to the best of my ability trying to represent Christ through my actions. James says faith without word." is dead and so one of the guys his name was shake invited me out to lunch and um we got to eat and he's like hey what is it what why do you do what you do and i said man i'm in love with jesus jesus has radically transformed my life and there's nothing else i want to give my life to and he said man i will never kneel down to god no way in my life Um, And I said, well, do you, and he had a son, and I said, would you kneel down for your son out of love and reverence for him if somebody told you to, or they'll take his life? And he said, gladly, and I said, that's what the Lord did for you, is that he loved you so much so that he went to the cross, took uh, upon your sins in your life, and said, out of this great love, this great exchange, I'll take your sin and your death so that you can have life. And uh, he wasn't into it. Well, a few weeks later, God began to radically transform his life. And I remember working and everybody was cussing up a storm and being crude and vulgar. And he said, everybody hush and be quiet. Don't talk like that around church man. And I said, I'll take it, man. I'll take it. And we began to sort of carry on this relationship where not only was I trying to represent Christ to him, but I was sharing Jesus with him. So much so to the point that I could visibly see a, a character change in his life. And I, I was so close. And then he got fired and never saw him again. But uh, there's something to be said there. Uh, there's something to be said there about our, our commitment to Jesus, uh, our, our call to Jesus is that we are called to represent him, live for him, share him, put on display his grace, beauty, and worth. And and whether we see the results or not, because sometimes we won't, our commitment is to still be faithful to Jesus and still be faithful to representing him wherever he calls us. And some days we will see the the fruit of uh, our great serving and our being on mission with him, and other times we won't. And yet we're still called to faithfully represent him as we sow seeds with our life and with our words. And so I'm still praying for Sheikh. I still have this feeling I'm going to run into him. So hopefully I get to finish this story before I die. Uh, so when we have this attitude, it renews the purpose. It, it, it brings deeper meaning to our work. That your work, your occupation, your building is the temple that God has placed you in to worship him. And bring life to people who are experiencing death. And bring hope to a hopeless generation. James goes on to say in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Uh, For you are a mist uh, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we we will live and do this or that. The second area of our life that we tend to leave God out of is our future. Uh, We're experts at envisioning a future uh, where all of our anxieties, all of our depression and sadness and worries aren't there. We're experts at envisioning a life for ourselves where we're deeply satisfied and fulfilled, and there's no problems and there's no pain. And yet, what we often do is that God isn't in that picture, and God's hand isn't over it. And and it's not bad to envision that world. In fact, it sort of puts on display this, this yearning inside of our hearts to see things made right, to see things made new, to see heaven invade earth and live in such a place where we're not crippled by anxiety, fear, or worry, or stress. Yet that world is not created by you, it's created by God. And so we tend to leave God out of our future and we make all sorts of plans saying, I'm, like James says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to travel and experience this sort of life. Uh, and yet plans aren't bad, but, but, but hear me, if we make plans without God, they can lead to all sorts of sin yes. and destruction. Right. The problem isn't planning. Believe it or not, I'm an incredibly organized guy. If you look at my calendar, my Google Drive, my laptop, it is, uh, I, 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 I boast in how organized I am and how uh, uh, you know clean it can be. My wife has, I call her laptop like, uh, it's just like a radiation biochemical hazard. It's just so unorganized and I'm like, oh, I can't touch it. Uh, being organized, having plans is not bad. That's not a sin, but living a life without God is. And so we tend to make plans and consider the future, and we do so without considering who God is and what he wants for us. Uh, Traveling back from this conference, we found ourselves at the airport, and one of the perks, I didn't know this about having kids, is that you get to board with the A group, which is awesome because you get to get a good seat on the plane. And so uh, they were calling the A group, and uh, we were getting ready to board the plane, and my son has this habit of pooping a lot, uh, and, and he does so in the most obvious way, like he makes like this weird, obnoxious grunting sound, and his face turns red, and it's like you know what's happening, and there's no way of hiding it. And in fact, a couple weeks ago at Summer Nights, like he had this full-on action moment, and it was it was miserable. Uh, and so Morgan looked at me, and he said, hey, he's, he's, he's doing the number two, Should we should we change the diaper now? Or on the plane. I said, no, let's change it on the plane. Because I don't want to miss boarding with, with, with Group A. I want to get a good seat uh, on the plane. And she said, okay, let's do it. And, and so they're getting ready to board the plane. And uh, you know when you're at the airport, there's just like cool people. Like you see people and you're like, man, I wish i looked look cool like you. Like you have the glasses, the shades, and the outfit. Like you look famous. Well, one of those guys was sitting across from us. And he leans over in the most like cool, calm, collected way. And he says, hey, I think your, uh, your son had an accident. And we look down, and literally, his poop, for lack of a better word, is running down his shorts and into the stroller. This had never happened before. We'd never experienced this kind of blowout. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you ruin? my plans, <laughs> I wanted to get on the first row with extra leg space and get on the plane and, and now we're rushing, we're going through, the, through our, our bag and there's, there's no change of clothes, there's barely one diaper and she runs to change him. she has to throw away all of his clothes and, and uh, he comes out wrapped in, in Morgan's kimono, is that the word, which is like some weird thin sweater cardigan thing and he's just having the time of his life and, and it has me thinking about this idea, uh, as silly as that is, for many of us, that's what 2020 felt like. Or it felt like, you know, crap was just coming everywhere. <laughs> like, 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 like it didn't just hit the fan, it hit every single wall in the house, every single part of our body, and it seemed like everything was falling apart. And at the beginning of the year, we made awesome plans. Like, yeah, this summer, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to get married, going to get engaged, uh, I'm going to experience this part of the world, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, have this sort of life, and, and then we get to March and everything falls apart. And, and, and for a brief history and time, the whole world was in unison, and they agreed on one thing, we do not know what tomorrow will hold. Right. We would make plans, and then we would like hold them very humbly and say, Lord, here are our plans, and, uh, but they might change in three days, because one week it's it's mask, another week it's don't show up, another week is don't do anything, and so all of a sudden we, we make plans, and We're orchestrating and organizing and yet we're holding it humbly saying, Lord, if you permit. And what I fear is happening now is the world begins to open back up and we see a semblance of normal. I mean, like we're in this room. I was at Universal Studios. People weren't wearing masks. I was in a room with a thousand people. Everything felt so normal. And I feel like there's this temptation creeping in saying, now that we've overcome this barrier, Let's start organizing, let's start making plans, let's start seeing the world, let's start uh, checking things off our to-do list. And hear me, those things aren't bad, but we run the risk of doing so without taking God into consideration. And the invitation of following Jesus is not necessarily living the life you want, but living the life that God has designed you to live. And that's a life of being in constant submission to him. And so that looks like, Lord, here are my desires. Here's what I want to do. I humbly submit them to you. And if you permit, if you will, uh, would I be able to walk this out and see this happen? And here's the incredible thing about God is that when we do this, God is not sort of this begrudging judge saying, oh, your plans suck. Uh, Let's push them to the side. And sometimes they do. I'm going to be honest because I know mine do. Rather, God is saying, uh, rather when we do that, we first prioritize God as the supreme ruler and authority over our life. And we express to him, Lord, your opinion, your will, your values matter more to me than my desires. And as we submit to the Lord, we often see that his desires begin to come into our heart and we see them come to fruition. And so if the Lord wills, is not sort of this magic phrase that we say, um, you know, in every moment. Uh, I I grew up Hispanic and so the phrase was, si si Dios quiere. Uh, I heard this all the time growing up. It means if the Lord permits in Spanish. Oh, uh, can, can, hey mom, can, can, can we go to, to, to the store? Si Dios quiere, if the Lord permits. Uh, 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 you know, or can, can you drop me off at school? Who's going to pick me up? I, I don't know, your uncle, si get it. And I'm like, what, what does God want? And so it's not sort of this random phrase that we say for everything. Like, like, hey, can, uh, can you, can you pass me the ketchup? Oh, if the Lord permits. Uh, or like, hey, can you open that door for me? Oh, if the Lord wills. That's not the idea here. It's not sort of this magical phrase that we say for every single moment. Rather, it's an attitude that we adopt that takes the Lord into consideration in everything we do. That, That when we walk into the store, we take the Lord into consideration and we consider his will for our life as we navigate and pass other people. That when we go to work, or we drive the car, or we parent our kids, or we, um, or, or, or we grow a relationship, we're taking the Lord and His will into consideration in every single moment, in every single second, living in light of constant submission to Him. And so, this is what the Lord has called us to, to live under His rule and reign, but so often we don't. We leave God out. We want to build without Him, and my question is, why do we do this? Why, why do we leave God out? I believe one of the reasons we do this is because we've experienced a great amount of disappointment. Where we've had this expectation that, that we expected God to fulfill. And, and when those expectations go unmet, you and I do the same thing. We, we detach. We disconnect. We disconnect. And, and, and we let one unmet expectation begin to be a, a barrier uh, that severs our relationship with God. Maybe we feel disconnected. Maybe we find ourselves in a season where we're not experiencing God's presence. We're not experiencing uh, the joy of the Lord like we were when we first became Christians. And so instead of connecting and drawing near to the Lord, we begin to disconnect. And now it seems like there's this distance between myself and God, and we fill that gap with not his lordship, but being in control of our own lives. Maybe we're distraught. Maybe we're distressed. Maybe we find ourselves incredibly impatient, anxious, where all the world seems out of control. And instead of trusting the Lord and submitting to his lordship, we want to grasp for control. And we say, God, if it, you're taking way too long to show up. The bills have to get paid, and um, I, I have to move and do something. And so we begin to make decisions and make plans and try to create a life of peace and pleasure for ourselves because we're overwhelmed and out of control. We do this because we want control. And when you leave God out, there's one thing that will always happen. It will lead to selfish autonomy. Because if God is not in control, then you will try to be in control. If God is not steering the vehicle of your life, you will do it. And you will say, well, I'm not doing it. And if God's not doing it, then someone or something else will. When you leave God out, when you don't submit to his lordship, you will try to be in control. And this will lead uh, and manifest itself in one simple sin, sinful arrogance. Let's look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, uh, boasting is not sinful. Boasting in the Lord, boasting in resurrection, boasting in the goodness of God is not evil. But boasting in yourself is evil because the Bible strictly condemns idol worship. And if you're not worshiping the Lord and you turn inward to worship yourself, you've made yourself an idol. And this is evil. The, James says that this is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I love what James Osborne says on verse 17. He says, it is certainly very, a very important reminder of a critical fact. That sin is not just in the deeds we commit, but also in the deeds we should commit but fail to perform. That sin is not just in the deeds we commit, but also in the deeds we should commit, but fail to perform. And this is the big idea of this whole series. That that faith works. James says, a faith without works is sin. So, so what is verse 17 about? It's living a life of claiming faith in Jesus, but failing to live like Jesus and do good in the world. Putting on display the character of Christ in all that you do. And James is railing against this time after time. He says, you have Faith in Jesus, but you neglect the poor. In fact, your faith in Jesus should move you to care for the poor, to, to feed and, 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 and bring refuge to the widow and orphan, yet you know the right thing to do, and you don't do it, that's sin. Uh, you know that faith, Faith in Jesus moves you towards being an ambassador of Christ, a minister of reconciliation, one who exudes Christ-like love and justice and grace, and yet you see the injustices in the world, you turn a blind eye, you log off of Facebook, you log off off of Instagram, thinking that those things don't exist. And instead of letting your heart move to compassion and being a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of grace and love, and depositing the gospel's vision for hope and healing into a broken people, you remove yourself. James says that's sin. Because you know the right thing to do, and yet you fail to do it. You see your neighbor who is struggling, who is hurting, who hasn't mowed their lawn in weeks, who is barely making ends meet, and you have proximity to them. Jesus has called you to love your neighbor, and you don't show your love in good works. You have sinned against the Lord. And why is this sin? Because this is the ultimate display of selfish autonomy, self-control. Because what you're saying is, I know what God wants, I know what God wills, but I'm going to do it my way. I know God has called me to give generously, and I know God has called me to use my resources to bless the least of these, but I'm going to hoard my resources and use it to save up money to um, satisfy all my selfish appetites. I know that God has called me to extend myself and and, and be a vessel of hope and healing, but I'm going to give into uh, my preferences of not being uncomfortable, so I withhold. This is selfish autonomy because in this moment, you are declaring that your will is better than God's will, that your ways are better than God's ways. You know what God wants, but you say, yeah, yeah, that ain't it. I'm going to do me instead of doing what the Lord has called you to do. This is sin because we're called to submit our lives to God. And the gospel of the kingdom of God is about reversing the effects of sin, renewing creation, making everything new. And when we partner with God, when we walk with Jesus, we're coming alongside of him, seeing all that's broken, all that's in chaos come into order and being made new and experiencing the grace of the Lord. And when we fail to do right, and we know that we know that it's good from God, we partner with sin and the destructive force that wages war against God's kingdom. And this is the temptation that every single person in this room faces, that we all experience the ultimate temptation to leave God out and be in control. The temptation to to leave God out. The temptation to build a world, to build a future, to build a life without Him. And when we do this, our focus becomes inward instead of Godward. And the most tragic thing that happens is that instead of experiencing freedom from our own autonomy, we actually experience enslavement. That we actually become further slaves of sin than becoming freer version of of ourselves because that is the very nature of sin to keep you in bondage to keep you enslaved and if you don't think you're enslaved by your sin if you think that you're free you're further enslaved because sin is blinding you to the reality that there is a a greater sense of freedom that's made available for christ but you're selling short for your own sinful pleasures and desires and here's the good news of the kingdom of god the gospel is that when we fail to draw near to God and build a life with him, he draws near to us. That when we leave God out, God comes in. And he comes into our story showing us that our finances are not the ultimate place where we can find security and provision. That there's actually been made available for us a greater source of provision and a greater source of security that outnumbers all the zeros that you can put behind a number in your bank account. That it's the God of the universe who has created everything and has never run out of resources. God comes into our story and shows us that in our future it's not hopeless and that our current circumstance don't dictate what the future is going to be like. Rather, there awaits for us a a sense of hope, a sense of faith and love that outweighs and displaces the current experiences that we have in life. That when we look forward, though this side of eternity or this experience on earth may feel crippling and suffocating and, and, and filled with afflictions, this story is not the end of the story. Rather, there awaits for us an eternity, a hope, a life with Jesus that. Is void of all the sinfulness and brokenness that we surround ourselves with. And God draws near and frees us ultimately from ourselves frees us from the sin device that is working within us to keep us enslaved so that we can be set free in his love. Not to look at ourselves, not to look at others, but to look at the creator, the gentle, amazing King of Kings, Lord of Lords who has invited us into a Lordship relationship where the ultimate place where we can experience freedom in life is not in living for ourselves, but living for the one who created us. Shifting our focus from inward to Godward. How is this possible? Jesus. We can live lives, the temptation is to live lives where where God is rarely considered. But every step of Jesus' life was taken in obedience to God the Father. And taking God the Father's will into consideration in every moment, in every area of life. When we are disobedient and fail to do good, when we walk through the streets and drive our cars and see a humanity wrecked by sin and fail to do good, Jesus walks among us and he calls out the evil, he restores individuals, he feeds the hungry, he sets people free in love. And where our pride and earthly commitment to build and forge a future outweighs our commitment to God, Jesus shows us his commitment to the father and the father's commitment to us. As we see Jesus escorted to the cross and the cross now outweighs all of our failures, all of our disappointments, all of our shortcomings. And this is the reason we can draw near. This is the reason God can come in. Because when you and I fail to build a life for God, Jesus came down to us and met us where we are, removing every single barrier in our life that we have built up, removing every single lie and insecurity that we've built up, removing every single lie and shame and fear that we have built up, and completely demolished it, and is now taking residence in our heart. Why does this matter? You see, when you feel the temptation to build your finances, future, or faith without God, because you feel like that is a better way to live, oftentimes we we feel this because we're out of control. We feel powerless. We feel weak. And as a result, God will feel small and powerless. God will feel distant and weak. God will feel useless. Yet the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus comes and closes this gap between our earthly feelings and the reality of his kingdom. And in his gentleness, in his love, he shows us that when we submit our lives to him and relinquish our control to Jesus, there is made available for you power, strength, freedom, provision that far outweighs all of your earthly attempts to secure a life of financial gain, a life of control, a life of pleasure. It's all found in Christ. So what do we do now? My question as we come to a close is who or what is in control of your life? Are you in control? Is your boss in control? Is your bank account in control? Are your children in control? Or is Jesus in control? Is Jesus' lordship fully expressed over your finances, over your future, and over your faith? And if it's not, Jesus invites us to come to him, uh, to lay down these burdens, these, this life that we've been trying to build without him, and submit our heart, our will, to a generous king who will receive it. And as we make much of Jesus, we'll see Jesus begin to craft And make much of faith and life in us. Let's come to Jesus in prayer before we transition to communion. Lord, we worship you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, I praise you that that when I was trying to build a life without you, you came and met me where I am. and, And showed me that true life, eternal life is found in you. And Lord, I pray that you would come and visit us this morning. Maybe we're in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe we we know we have union with Jesus, but we find that our finances aren't fully submitted to you, so we hold back instead of give generously. Uh, We use it for our own selfish gain instead of the blessing others. Lord, I pray that you would come and show us how you're a generous, faithful king who will meet every single one of our needs, how you'll go above and beyond in sustaining us and keeping us and that ultimately life is not found in how much we accumulate but it's found in you lord if 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 we're in this room and uh your lordship isn't expressed over our future maybe we have plans and 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 maybe uh we have dreams and goals and i thank you lord that dreams and goals and plans aren't bad but if they were made without you i pray that you would still and slow us down so that we can submit it to you and say lord if you will your will be done not ours yours and Lord would you come and take a hold of our faith would we submit our lives to your rule and your reign and not our way of doing things and would you come and demolish all earthly preferences and ideas of what it means to be a Christian that's not rooted in scripture and would you empower us and embolden us to be more like you in Jesus name